morning, for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about spiritual fitness in a flabby generation. Spiritual fitness in a flabby generation. And if you have your Bibles, I would appreciate it if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. This is part, this is the third message in a, in a benchmarks of faith series that we're doing about how do, we, how do we measure our spiritual growth? What does it look like for us to grow in the Lord and how can we measure these things? And, and uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, this is what the scripture says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Now, I just want to stop right here because I was reminded today that today is the Daytona 500. And for those of you that may be NASCAR fans, there's only going to be one winner of that, but there's going to be a lot of cars wrecking. (laughs) It says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Lord, as we come to you this morning, we ask that you would take the words that we have spoken from your word and that through the the ministry of the anointing of your Holy Spirit, that you would begin to make personal application in our lives of the things that you desire to speak to us about. So Lord, as we begin to look at our own spiritual fitness, I pray that you would help us desire and grow and be willful and focus on what it takes to continue to grow in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a few years ago, um, I had a friend of mine that was about my age that passed away unexpectedly, and as a result of that, my wife encouraged me with some help of some of my friends that, that I needed to find a personal doctor and that I needed to have regular checkups and a physical. So I, I did that because I love my wife, and I wanted to make sure that I get to stick around for her as long as possible. But when I was looking for a doctor, I discovered, do you know that they interview you? They were, they were asking me questions, and I said, now, why are you asking? He goes, because we have to determine whether or not we want you to be a patient or not. And so I felt I should have the right to interview you, too. And so I ended up asking, I said, give me the youngest doctor that you've got, somebody just out of college, and they ended up giving me this young Irish lad. And uh, so the last time I went in for my physical, he looked at my chart, and he came in, and he goes, ooh, you just turned 60, huh? And uh, I looked at him and I said, so what does that mean? And he began to tell me what I can expect in the percentage of deterioration of my muscle mass, of my coordination, of my flexibility, and other things that really matter to me over the next 10 to 15 years. He says, now... You can slow down this deterioration if you will just eat a little more healthy and if you do some exercise. And I finally stopped. I said, can you just stop for a second? I said, isn't there another word that you can use besides deterioration? <laughs> you know, I know you're young and let me just help you out here. That's, that's not a good word to be using. And so 
He stopped for a moment and he goes, yeah, yeah, I, I, I suppose I can call it a process of declining into an inferior state. <laughs> Does that sound better? And so then he told me that the quality of my life, he said, can be determined for the most part by the choices that I make from this point on. And, and I discovered that motivation is a great tool. When you're told you're deteriorating and that it's not going to get better, but that you can slow it down, it just kind of motivates you. And as I've thought about that conversation, I thought the parallels between the pursuit of physical health and the pursuit of spiritual health are amazing. And apparently, Paul thought that as well. Because in this passage, Paul argues from the lesser to the greater. He says, if individuals are prepared to go into strict training and deprive themselves of justifiable enjoyments, all for the sake of a crown that at that time would have been made out of laurel leaves, that shortly after they'd been put on their head would begin to dry up and fall off. And he says, if they're willing to do this for that kind of a prize, how much more should we who are pursuing the cause of Jesus Christ be concerned about running the Christian race in such a way that we would get the everlasting prize and the effort that is needed to put into that. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but as the Olympics start to grow a little bit closer, we're seeing more and more of these Olympic athletes showing up in commercials. And, and we know their names so that we can pull for them when they come as they're going for the gold. And we know that in the preparations that they've had, that they've been working for years toward this. And so many of them have diets, and an athlete doesn't merely ask, is this meal nutritional? But they're asking, is it allowed for me to eat this in this training regimen that I am in? Many of them, the athletes that are training, they are in bed sleeping when their friends are out partying, and, and they are up training when their friends are still sleeping. They know how to endure hardship because the training is tough, and it's demanding, and their coaches will push them farther than they think it's possible for them to go. How many of you have been in the military, been through boot camp? There's a number of you. How many of you at one time or another thought, there's no possible way I can make it another step only to have a drill sergeant tell you that you can make it farther than that? Some of you know what it's like. I, I find this really fascinating, that, that parents won't put too many demands on their kids, but they'll let them be coached hard. They'll let coaches scream at them and yell at them and push them to, to go beyond. And, and yet, it's always been fascinating to me. But these athletes sacrifice on so many levels. They change their schedule and they remove things from their schedule that they would really enjoy doing so that they can be the best at what they focus on. And then they make a commitment to it, a financial commitment, a mental commitment, an emotional commitment that is absolutely re required in order for them to pursue the goal of what they want. Our pursuit of a spiritual prize in our life as we are looking at these benchmarks of faith should be no less something that we focus on. In fact, three weeks ago we talked about focus, turning our attention, being steadfast. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to focus on this. It's important to me. And we understand that the Lord is telling us that if the eternal prize that we have in front of us is important, nothing will stand in our way of getting there. 
I am looking forward to that day, not only when I get to look God in the eyes, but to hear him say, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, I am amused by some of the interesting gimmicks that are on the market that promise amazing results in diet and losing weight with absolutely no change of behavior. Uh, in fact, one showed up on my Facebook page recently. Apparently, it's a liquid that if you drink it, all your fat just burns away. In fact, they showed, they poured it in this bowl and all the fat just blew, blew away. And they said in the advertising of this, these words, you don't have to change what you eat and you don't have to change your lifestyle. And I looked at that and I thought, are we not into shortcuts or what? Give me something to drink. Who knows what's in it? It may kill you. But if we can find a shortcut that will give us the results that we want even faster, we are going to do that. And apparently there's lots and lots of people because it told me how many millions of people have purchased this product because they wanted to lose fat and look good with no effort whatsoever. I need to tell you before we really get into this message that that's not that's not what's going to happen to you as a Christian, the Bible says. If you want to be with the Lord in the way that he desires, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to be disciplined. You're going to have to be focused because there are no shortcuts to spiritual fitness in a flabby generation. If you have your bulletins, you'll notice that there's a little outline there and you can jot some notes down. The first thing that I want to point out to you are there are activities that will hinder us in our growth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Now, as I read this scripture, I noticed two different things. There's a couple of different categories in here. Number one, is we have to throw off everything that hinders. Did you notice that this was separate from the next statement after that and said, and the sin which so easily besets? Do you know that there's some things in your life that are not sin but are hindering you? Clearly indicates to us that there are choices that we are going to be making in our life as we choose to pursue the Lord, that there may be some good things in our life, things that don't hurt us, don't seem to harm us, but God says they are hindering you in your discipline and they need to be thrown off so that you can pursue the Lord. And then on top of that, there are sins that easily entangle us and these things must be removed so that we can run the race with perseverance that's marked for us. In fact, I also love the way the word is here. It says, let us throw off everything. Did you notice that the, that the scripture puts the responsibility for the discipline of your spiritual life right on you? You have to choose what you will throw off that is hindering you from your spiritual growth. For some of you, you live an undisciplined life. You want to grow in the Lord, but yet you never make time for the things of the Lord. You are always looking at how can I fit the things of God into the convenience of my life. And the Lord is saying, this is exactly some of the things that are hindering you and need to be reviewed within your life so that you can live your purpose. A few years ago, I was in an anchorage 
Alaska airport and I was waiting for an airplane that was going to take me to Nome. And there were like eight people waiting to go on this flight and I was stunned when I saw this huge airplane pull up because I thought, man, I was thinking it was going to be so small based on the number of people that were there. And as we got onto the plane, what I recognized is that there was three rows of three seats on each side and then there was this clear plastic that was hanging behind the seats that designated the difference of the where people would sit from the rest of the plane. And you could see through the plastic and, and what I saw was that everything had been taken out of the back of that plane. The walls had been taken out. The seats had been taken out. You could see the structure. You could see all of the, the, you know, the wiring and, and it wasn't a very comfortable looking thing. And then I watched as they opened the big door and they begin to load onto this airplane all of the supplies, all of the groceries, all of the milk, everything that had to go to a gnome. And I asked one of the flight attendants that was there, I said, what, what's this all about? She goes, passengers are a luxury on this. She goes, this is primarily, this plane is primarily a supply plane. And we leave a few seats just for those of you that need to get there. She goes, the purpose of this plane is to stuff as much as we can get on it and so we get rid of all of the extra weight so that it can fulfill its purposes. I think that's the way that we need to approach our Christian lives. There are many things that are perfectly fine in and themselves, but they may be holding us back from achieving spiritual fitness. And we must be regularly prepared to handle and deal with some of these things which may hinder us. And I believe that some of the things may surprise us as we look at our life through the lens of the Holy Spirit are, are some of the things that are not damaging to us but are not helpful in us in being disciplined in our spiritual lives. Some of them could be our love of sports. Some of them could be gardening. Some of them may be hobbies that we are involved with that take so much of our time that we have allowed them an extraordinary aspect in our life that is hindering us from the things that are really important in our life and growing in the Lord. And, and I need you to be very careful and understand the context of my next statement. But sometimes, especially in this generation, our commitment to our children can also be a hindrance if the activities that they are involved with keep us from worship and prayer and witness and teaching them by our actions that the Lord is to be fit into our schedule, not be the priority of it. We are living in a generation where in our society, our children and their activities have become idols to many families. And we classify this saying, this is good attention and I want them to know I love them. Do you know what will teach them you love them? Showing them that God is the priority and everything else falls underneath his lordship. I'm amazed as I drive by some of the parks on Sunday mornings in the summer and I see 800 families out there watching their children and I look at them and I'm, I wonder about their spiritual lives from time to time. I'm not saying that what they're doing is bad. What I am saying is that there needs to be the priorities that the Lord is more important than everything in our lives if we want to be spiritually disciplined and raise children that come to understand that. The words of Jesus put our involvement with our families into perspective. And again, let me give context to this as I read it. In Luke 14, 26, 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This does not mean that you run around and you tell your husband and your wife you hate them. 
This does not mean that you tell your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters that they don't mean anything to you. Jesus clearly is trying to say here, I just need you in the level of importance. If your spiritual life matters, I've got to be more important than everything else in your life. And it requires a discipline to be able to do that. One of the reasons for the flabbiness of our spiritual lives in this generation of Christians is that we are growing up without an awareness of what sin is and what sin does. In fact, in our generation, people don't even like to use that term sin. In fact, I was recently asked why I don't use the term sin very often in my message. Well, I've used it three times in the last sentence for those of you that were counting. Sin is anything that displeases the Lord. And the scripture says that sin entangles us. It captures us. It holds us back. And these are the things that in light of scripture we ask God to help us overcome these things as we move on with him. Interesting, if I were to take a poll of the things that tempt us, for each of us it may be different things because the source of our temptations differ according to our personalities, according to our circumstances, we each need to learn where our personal weaknesses lie. And once they are identified, we need to be ruthless with the things that entangle us as sin. We can't play games with them, but ask God, would you rip these weeds of sin out of my life by the roots and then help me to be disciplined so that I do not go back there again? Now, for those of you that grew up in the church, you might recognize this term. It's called the mortification of the flesh. Any of you remember that term? Mortification of the flesh, which literally means to us that we are pronouncing a death sentence upon sin and killing all of that which sets itself against God and his purposes within our life. Sometimes we allow little foxes to run through our life, little compromises that we say, you know what? I'm strong enough as a Christian that these things won't bother me. And the more allowances we make for some of those things, the easier it is to make allowances for the next things and the next things. And before long, there seems to be no visible difference between our lives and the lives of those that we are seeking to pray for and lead them to Christ. And we are told that we are responsible to work out what God by His Spirit points out within our lives. And the most obvious way to assess our progress is to test our lives against the plumb line of Scripture. We should not assume that we are spiritually fit simply because we feel like we're in good shape. I may feel like I can run well until I measure my 100-yard or 100-meter time against an Olympic standard, and then suddenly I recognize I'm nowhere close. So how do we assess our progress? How do we assess our progress? As we're looking at these benchmarks of faith, when I went to the doctor for my physical, he sent me through a rigorous battery of tests. First, they hooked me up to heart monitors, and then they asked me to do various stretches and balancing tasks and submitted blood work, and I had to answer an extensive questionnaire, and then we watched and waited as we're pushing all of this information into a machine for it to kick out answers of exactly where I was in physical health. And there were five categories that came up, and I really believe that these five categories probably have a spiritual side to them as well. The first one being this, your functional heart rate and capacity. 
The first test they did on me was to check my aerobic activity. Now, I discovered that what I thought was good shape really wasn't good shape. And I was a little bit disappointed. I told my doctor, listen, I can get out and jog. I'm a great walker. I can walk all day long. He goes, he goes that won't do anything for you in the long run. I said, why? He goes, because you don't get your heart rate to a place of jeopardy where it needs to be for at least 20 minutes to where you feel like you're going to die before it does any good. And I'm going, who would want to do that? He said, you have got to learn to push yourself beyond your comfort zone. I said, I sweat. Isn't that good enough? Apparently not. He wanted to know that there was a rigorous training in my life that would regularly push my heart to the limits and my lungs to the limits beyond what I thought I could do. And it was in those moments that finally the capacity began to grow. In the spiritual realm, we likewise live such lives of comfort for the most part spiritually. Rarely do we put ourselves in positions where our faith has got to be tested beyond what we are comfortable. Rarely do we put ourselves in positions where we are so obedient to the Lord where we will step out of a comfort zone into a place that makes us sweat. Into places where we know, Lord, I'm now stepping into areas where I am growing in you because this is areas I would not naturally want to go without you. And finally, there's a capacity that begins to grow within us as we assess ourselves with this. Howard Hendricks once described the local church as a football game. And he said, here's it. 22 people on the field badly in need of rest and 40,000 in the stands badly in need of exercise. There is little doubt that the majority of the exercise necessary for the local church to function is engaged by a minority of its members. With so many exercise programs, people are motivated by guilt sometimes to make staggering commitments with which they quickly discover they are un unwilling or unable to follow through on. Now, we are now in the second and third week of February, which means... All of you who bought yearly memberships to the gym January 1st are beginning to recognize it's easier to get on some of those machines than it was the first week of January. Because the people now that are still going are recognizing that the discipline that it takes in order to keep themselves going. And those that just bought because it was on sale are recognizing how easy it is to slip back into the old habits. Do you know that spiritually we face those same issues? How many times have you promised God something? That you have said, Lord, if you will come through for me in this, I promise you that I will. And then you can fill in the blank. Now, I'm quite certain that God doesn't do some of those things just to bargain with us, but I do recognize that he is taking notes and he will remember the promises that we have made. And we need to recognize quickly that it's going to take discipline for us to push ourselves to the level of spiritual activity that although, although it's not harmful, it's actually doing something for us. And the church needs to get out of neutral and begin to move where the Lord is leading us. I believe that we are facing, and especially in the American church today, a church that for the most part the, the aerobic function is flat. 
We do not enjoy the benefits of a good spiritual workout. We miss out on the privileges of service. We fail to assume responsibilities. And we let it fall to others that are possibly already overextended. And we say they will do okay with it as we slide back into old habits. Secondly, we need to learn to pace ourselves in this. How many of you are distance runners? You like to get out and just, and just run. We are an unhealthy church. <laughs> I don't even know where to go after that. I just... <laughs> For those of you that are runners, if you are a really good runner and you can run a seven-minute mile, which is really good, it would do you little good to pace yourself against somebody who is farther ahead and running a six-minute mile because you might keep up with them for a little while, but in the end, you're going to die trying to keep up with them. And I, I think it's important for us to recognize that in our spiritual disciplines, as we're trying to increase our spiritual heart rate and capacity, that we understand that everything is a journey for us. But in our discipline, we will continue to grow as we pace ourselves against what God wants for us and not necessarily compare ourselves to other people. However, we as a church can encourage one another. How many of you know it's easier to do something when there's people cheering you on than it is that when you're out there all by yourself? We as the body of Christ understand that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, that's a decision we make individually. And from that moment on, we are a part of a great cloud of witnesses that encourage one another to disciplined lives, to follow after what God wants to do within us. And so it is in our church, if we're to run our race and play our part, we must always be looking unto Jesus rather than our brothers and sisters and not trying to compare ourselves with them. Each of us, the Lord wants to develop differently, but he does have responsibilities for each of us. The second thing that was measured was static flexibility. My doctor wanted to check my agility and my suppleness, I think was the term that he used. I've never been called supple before. <laughs> he told me that he can determine the age of somebody within two years by different balancing techniques that he does. He said, because the older you get, you lose the ability to balance well. I'm always up for a good challenge. And I said, I am as supple as a 40-year-old. To which he laughed and said, prove it. I failed miserably. <laughs> As it relates to the church in the areas of flexibility and our spiritual fitness, there is a danger in the church of becoming inflexible and intolerant. And let me clarify clearly what I'm talking about here. A friend of mine named Bill Kirk was telling me of a young man that they had been praying for when he was pastoring a church in Binghamton, and finally the young man came to the church. He walks into the church, and he's wearing a ball cap. And as he walked into the lobby there, one of the ushers there walked over to the young man and says, I don't know who you think you are, but we do not wear ball caps in the house of the Lord, and took the hat right off his head and put it into his hand, and that young man turned around and walked right back out of the church because of an inflexibility to what a searcher might look like. The other side of that is that we cannot become so flexible that we compromise the Word of God. We cannot become so flexible 
that we take the morality of our world and the Ten Commandments of the things that we've been commanded to do and say those we can be flexible on. There are some things the Lord says, this is my law. And this is my word. And there are other things as the way we relate to people that are different from us, those that may not know Jesus, we can be flexible in the way that we love them so that we have the opportunity to influence them for Jesus Christ. And I pray that being that we are a church that says that we love people and we want to welcome them home, that we will learn the difference between the things that we need to stand firm on and those things that we can be flexible on as we love others so that we are not brutal about the issues that do not matter, but that we hold fast to the things that do. The next thing that they tested me on was endurance. It measured my staying power, how many repetitions of an exercise I could complete without being fatigued. Endurance is a key factor for spiritual fitness. Some of you are better at this than others because you have been through things in your life that just required you to endure. You just had to push through. And in Philippians 1.6, the scripture says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I believe that endurance is something that we have not had to deal too much with because we frankly have had life pretty easy. As the church, we've had life pretty easy. I do believe that that may be changing. I saw, I don't know if it was an accurate article or not, but I saw, I believe it was last night, an article that said in some parts of California they're voting whether or not they want to remove all Christian literature. And I begin to think, if that is taking place, if they're wanting to remove the Bible and the Christian literature from places, it may very well be that we as a church are going to have to learn to endure for the cause of Jesus Christ. If we don't endure, what begins to happen is an old term called backsliding. We will begin to slide and slip and drift away from those things which were once really important to us. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, We must pay the more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Do you know that there is no neutral in your spiritual life? You are either moving forward or you're drifting backward. And we cannot afford to be neglectful or careless or apathetic because that will be fatal to our spiritual lives. And so a believer who because of negligence allows the truth and the teaching of the gospel to slip is in danger of being swept, swept downstream. No one is immune to this. In fact, I read this week of seven signs that you may be starting to slip away from the things that were once important. Number one, if the focus of your heart changes from the things of God to the things of the world, you may be drifting. If you become more concerned about yourself than worship and service to God and other people, you may be drifting. You no longer have the same passionate love for God that you once did. Or you quench the voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks to you in such a way as to motivate you to grow in the Lord. If you quit listening to that voice, you may be drifting. If your lifestyle becomes more sinful than you are holy, you're drifting. If your church attendance becomes less important to you, you are drifting. And if you no longer respond when the Holy Spirit says, this is what I want to do and respond to his call in obedience, then you are drifting. And Paul reminds us 
In 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows who are his. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. You need to put on a focus and a determination. Nothing is going to stop me from growing in the Lord. I will pursue him with all of my heart. There was a poster that I saw some years ago, and it had a, a picture with a runner on it. Along with the runner was this phrase, the race is not always to the swift, but to him who just keeps on running. Some of you are going through things in your life right now, and you're wondering, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Let me tell you something. You are building up an endurance. It's part of the spiritual disciplines, and God is going to use that, and he's going to use you because you just keep running after Jesus regardless of what it is that you're going through. I will not be deterred. I will continue to move. And so it is that our endurance is a vital test of our spiritual fitness. And then lastly, strength. The Christian faith is like a muscle. The more we exercise it, the more we build it up. But when we neglect it, it atrophies. And it's in recognizing our weaknesses that we discover, discover the strength that God provides. It is God who will keep you strong to the end. It is His indwelling Holy Spirit that will empower you and enthuse you and hold you and keep you. It is His strength that we walk in day by day. And the Bible tells us that we are needing to become strong and in good deeds and having our hearts and hands and needs strengthened by the cause of Christ for His spiritual usefulness. And we need strength in order to exercise our spiritual gifts. One of the things that we need to be strong in is grace. According to 2 Timothy 2.1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I believe one of the marks of people that are growing in the Lord is that they are graceful people. They are graceful people. All kinds of trials and troubles will come in your life. Just because we know Christ does not mean that we are exempt from pain or disease or illness. The difference is that we who are pursuing focus steadfast that we are going to grow in the Lord and we're going to reach these benchmarks of faith understand that we are not in this alone. That he supplies and strengths of everyone and everything that we need. In fact, it tells us in Isaiah 40, 31, but those who hope, or in another version it says, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Do any of you need renewed strength today? If you wait on the Lord, if you pursue Him, He will renew your strength. And here's what happens when your strength's been renewed. You're going to swallow, you'll be swallowed up in the pit. That's not what it says. It says that you will soar. Soar. You're going to be above it. It's going to lift you out of it. You're going to look down on it, soar with wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. Why? Because there's a, a capacity that is growing in you as you develop these spiritual attributes. And you will walk and you will not faint. That is our goal as we pursue these benchmarks of faith. Annie Johnston Flint was one of the great hymn writers. And if you read her biography, it's called The Making of the Beautiful, written by Roland Bingham. She was born a Johnston. And shortly after she was born, she was orphaned, and she was raised by the Flint family, and that's why she's gone as Annie Johnston Flint and is known as that. And she suffered a lot in her life. 
She had rheumatoid arthritis as a young lady until she was so twisted up that she was in bed for many, many decades. She had cancer inside of her. She was incontinent and lived in diapers. In her later years, blindness overtook her. Roland Bingham said that before she died, there were so many boils on her body that she was literally covered from head to toe. And it was so painful that she needed eight pillows just to cushion her body so that she could find relief. And it was in this condition, in this stage, that this woman wrote these words that some of you will recognize. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he added his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries that are known unto man. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth, and He giveth, and He giveth again. That sounds like a God that says, you need endurance, I'll provide what you need. You need a greater capacity of faith, you just focus on me and watch what I do in you. It's the grace of God that sustains you and it will be your testimony that will carry you ultimately to the end of the day. So what will you do with this? What will you do with the instructions of the Lord to live spiritually disciplined in a flabby generation? 